1: Hello, listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. You're listening to a clip of Keep Your Distance from Birdcat. This Akron Ohio talent is our featured Ohio musical artist tonight. So hang out with us to the end of the podcast. We'll tell you all about them and let you listen to that entire song. Right now, let's throw another log on the fire, campers. Let's dig up a new Ohio mystery. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our award-winning journalist, Paula slice who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories for the Akron Beacon Journal.
2: Hi, everybody. Steve, don't be jealous. We've got another Steve on the program tonight. Is there room for two of you? There can only be one. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Well, tonight, after our story, we're going to bring on a fellow podcaster, Steve of Great Lakes True Crime, an excellent podcaster going to want to add to your lineup. He's going to be our armchair detective tonight. But first, let me give you the story. If you live in Cleveland, maybe anywhere in Northeast Ohio, you probably remember the day you heard this news. On May 6th, 2013, police in Cleveland, Ohio, responded to a call in the city's Tremont neighborhood. In a home at 2207 Seymour Avenue, they made a shocking discovery. Three women had been held captive inside for more than a decade. Michelle Knight, taken from a Cleveland street in 2002, Amanda Berry, kidnapped in 2003, and Gina De Jesus who vanished in 2004. A man named Dario Castro, who drove buses for a living, had stolen them from their families, then somehow managed to keep all three prisoners in his home for years, often chained in separate rooms. One of the women had borne him a child, all this in a place where he had neighbors on both sides and a place where he had entertained visitors. It was a revelation. These girls, once teenagers presumed dead, were all now young women, very much alive. But as they were reunited with their loved ones, there was one family mourning the fact that their daughter wasn't among them. You see, she had gone missing in 2007, and authorities had always considered the possibility that all of these young ladies had been the prey of the same predator. Now that Michelle, Amanda, and Gina were found, the absence of Ashley Summers was, in some ways, even more stark. If this Ariel Castro hadn't taken her as well, then where was she? What Had happened to her. Ashley Nicole Summers was born to her mom Jennifer Summers and a dad who abandoned them after her birth. But Jennifer had a big family with parents and more than ten aunts and uncles who chipped in to help raise Ashley. Jennifer eventually added a new man to her life and four more daughters. Ashley doted on her half-siblings, happy to babysit her, take them out to the park, though she always made time for watching cheesy horror movies with mom and visiting her large extended family. Ashley wasn't immune to the rebellious phase that so many teenagers go through, and when she turned 14, it hit her hard. She started growing more distant, arguing with her mom's boyfriend, stealing money from the house, and then boys. She started dating one from the neighborhood. Jean Gill was two years older than her. And knowing her mother would disapprove, she kept her relationship with him a secret. But Jennifer Summers eventually learned about the boy in her eldest daughter's life. She tried to put a stop to it. Instead, Ashley swiped some money from her mom's dresser drawer and got herself a tattoo. The outline of a red heart with Jean's name and black ink right in the middle of it sprawled across her right arm. To ease the tension at home, Ashley went from her mom's house in Lakewood to live with her grandma in the Tremont area of Cleveland that summer of 2007. Lots of relatives lived nearby. She spent days and nights with various aunts and uncles, and particularly a lot of time at the home of her great uncle, Kevin Donathan, where she could be with her cousins. Her uncle Kevin lived on Holmden Avenue. Steve, do you remember the house in the movie A Christmas Story?
1: Yes, I do. That, that's a pretty famous one. They actually have that open during, uh, well, maybe it's open all year, isn't it?
2: I, I think it is. And yeah, you can go see it and they have a museum across the street. It's really a fun little day trip. Well, the exterior shots of that house in the neighborhood were done just a couple of blocks from Holmden. So that gives you kind of an idea of the quaint, family-oriented neighborhood we're talking about. On the 4th of July that year, Ashley went to a birthday pool party at a relative's house. She spent a few hours with her family swimming. Then at 6 p.m., she announced she was off to visit her Aunt Christina. She lived a 10-minute walk from where the pool party was being held. Ashley never arrived. Here's the thing, because Ashley had spent time staying with so many various relatives, it wasn't immediately obvious to anyone that Ashley was gone. It was two days later that Mom Jennifer realized nobody had seen her since the pool party. Ashley's great uncle, Kevin Donathan, said he last spoke with her the morning before she went to the pool. He said they argued. He said she was gossiping about family on the phone, and when she refused to stop after he told her to, he grabbed her phone and smashed it on the floor. That meant wherever Ashley was, she didn't have a phone. After a couple more days of not hearing from her, Jennifer Summers called police and filed a missing persons report. Not surprisingly, the police thought they were dealing with a runaway. But as complicated as relationships had gotten in Ashley's life, Jennifer insisted Ashley was a very family-oriented person. There's no way she would break off all contact with everyone. She was always active on social media, but suddenly not a peep from her on there. Even her boyfriend, Jean Gill, who was out of town with his own family that holiday week, Said she hadn't reached out to him. So Ashley's family formed search parties, tacked posters on mailboxes and cars, and knocked on doors throughout the neighborhood. They asked everyone to be on the lookout for the five foot five, 130 pound girl with the blue eyes and the brown hair. Cleveland police interviewed the boyfriend, but Gene Gill said the last time he saw Ashley was when he and his father had dropped her off at Uncle Kevin's house a few days before the Gill's left on their family trip. He insisted he had no idea of her whereabouts. The Summers family didn't believe him. They tacked missing posters all over his neighborhood. The next day, the posters would be gone. Jennifer admitted she started following the 16-year-old all over town, and once, when she saw him walking into an abandoned house, she called police. Police checked the house. Ashley wasn't there. Jennifer said she never did learn why he went into that house to begin with. Years later, Gil would say the stress of constantly being under scrutiny led to emotional problems. He embarked on a life of crime, some of his poor choices leading to arrests for drug possession and armed robbery. But he never stopped proclaiming that he had no idea what happened to Ashley Summers that summer of 2007. A month after Ashley vanished, her mom got a phone call at work. A girl's voice was on the other end. It's me, mom. I'm okay. Don't worry. Then the phone went dead. Jennifer Summers was excited. It sure sounded like her daughter. But as time wore on, she began to question whether she just wanted it to be her. If it was her, why wouldn't she have talked longer? Or was it her? But she was brief because someone had her and had ordered her to hang up. Police had plenty of leads to follow. There were several reports of people claiming to have seen her or someone that looked like her. In this neighborhood, that neighborhood, neither the police nor her family could confirm any of the sightings. Someone said they saw Ashley, but that she had cut and dyed her hair. That was in the minds of Ashley's grandfather and step-grandmother. In November of 2007, when they were driving through the west side of Cleveland on West 44th Street, they saw a girl that looked like Ashley, but with cut and dyed hair. They tried to turn the car around quickly and pursue her. But by the time they got back to where they had seen her, she was nowhere to be found. Two years later, step-grandma Linda Summers said she was sure it was her she noted that the area was prolific with prostitutes and she wondered if Ashley had been forced into the business, then added, it's hard to say. If anything, I would think that she's not in the area. They take these girls hours away so they can't be found. To be honest, police also thought that a real possibility that Ashley was a victim of sex trafficking. It took a good four or five months before authorities started circulating Ashley's picture. Her family thought they had lost precious time by then. The FBI eventually started their own investigation into Ashley's case. They gave it a little more weight because they knew two other girls had vanished off of Cleveland streets a few years earlier, Amanda Barry and Gina de Jesus. At the time, Michelle Knight was not on the radar. Police had always thought she was a runaway. But if they had known, it would have only strengthened their suspicions. Amanda, Jana, Michelle, and Ashley, they weren't the same age, but they had all attended the same high school at one point or another. And they had all disappeared within blocks of each other. Were those cases connected? Was Ashley a fourth victim? And then... That moment in 2013 when news programs all over the country, all over the world, carried the remarkable story that Amanda, Gina, and Michelle had been found alive. When Ashley's family first heard of their rescue, they held a collective breath. They were used to hearing Ashley's name in the same sentence as Amanda and Gina. Was Ashley in that house? Had she ever been? Did Ariel Castro take her? Did the other girls know what happened to her? But authorities never found any evidence that Castro had crossed paths with Ashley.
0: With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: he hung himself in a cell a month into his life sentence for what he had done to Amanda, Gina, and Michelle. And so the Summers family kept searching. In June of 2014, on Ashley's 21st birthday, and as the seventh anniversary of her disappearance approached, they gathered in a parking lot on Cleveland's west side, armed themselves with flyers that included a photograph of the Ashley they knew, and an aged, progressed likeness of the woman she might have become. The campaign to find Ashley started all over again. Her Aunt Kathy told a reporter, Unless you are going through what we are going through, you don't know what it's like to have somebody you love that much not a part of your life. More years passed. The tips never stopped coming in. In early 2015, someone reported seeing her at an ATM in Rhode Island. A surveillance photo had captured a picture of a woman wanted for petty theft. The resemblance to Ashley was uncanny, so uncanny that the FBI put up billboards and launched an ad campaign throughout Rhode Island looking for the woman in that photo. Facial recognition software suggested there was an 80% probability it was Ashley Summers. The Dr. Phil television show even helped spread the word. It took a few months, but the FBI finally found the woman in that picture, and it wasn't Ashley. In November of 2018, the FBI launched what it called a case review and interview surge in the Ashley Summers case. FBI Special Agent Vicki Anderson told reporters, we've always had this case open since she disappeared in 2007. These are new investigators that have been assigned for the last few months. They have really taken the case apart. You know, maybe we will jog some memories. The effort included assembling a team of more than 30 investigators, most of them bringing fresh eyes to the old files. They re-interviewed witnesses that had been talked to back in 2007, and they looked for new witnesses. They also paid a visit to that house on Holmden Avenue, where Ashley used to visit her uncle Kevin Donathan. The family no longer lived there, but the new homeowners stepped aside while investigators poured over the property. Reports said they were particularly focused on the backyard. They also knocked on doors in the area. And when they were done, they announced they had turned up new information. They suggested Ashley might have actually been seen as late as July 9. That was five days after the pool party and that she might have been seen somewhere around 96th and Madison and in the 1100 block of Holmden Avenue. The last last sighting had been on West 44th Street. These efforts gave credence to something police had already suspected, that Ashley did run away at first, but that her continued missing status after all these years was the cause for growing alarm. And the idea of forced prostitution was never off the table. And then this disturbing turn of events. On December 4, 2018, Ashley's great uncle, Kevin Donathan, the man who admitted he had taken and broken Ashley's phone the day she vanished, was charged with rape in another case. By now, the 55-year-old Donathan had a crude criminal history history dating back several years. In February of this year, he pleaded guilty in Cuyahoga County Common Police Court to charges of rape, gross sexual imposition, and compelling prostitution. He was sentenced to 35 years in prison. Donathan has never been named a suspect in the disappearance of his niece, Ashley. But given his argument with Ashley the day she disappeared and the crimes for which he is now in prison understandably there are many who wonder if we haven't heard the end of this connection there are still high hopes that ashley is alive interestingly if you read her page on the ohio attorney general's site for missing persons she is listed as an endangered runaway and the description of her case includes the note she is believed to still be in the local area Anyone with information on this is asked to contact the Cleveland Division of the FBI at 216-522-1400.
1: This is a part of the program where we bring on an Ohio Mysteries listener to be an armed chair detective.
2: Well, tonight we've got a special guest. We are being joined by Steve Holland from Great Lakes True Crime, another podcast covering fascinating Ohio stories and the like. Steve, how are you today?
3: I am great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
2: You bet. Hey, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your podcast?
3: Okay. Well, again, this is Steve with uh, Great Lakes True Crime. I've had the podcast for about two years, but I only do an episode about maybe once a month or so. It's focused on True crime stories from Ohio and mostly the lower Great Lakes region. So a little bit of Ontario, New York, Pennsylvania. This is Ashley Summers case is actually one that I've always thought about covering. So I'm glad to have the opportunity to uh, jump on with you guys.
2: What struck you most about this case?
3: It's it just the, the fact that it's another girl that went so mysteriously missing out of the clear blue around the same time, like you said, as the other girls who made the news and the headlines and everything. And and yeah, you're right. We were hoping that they would have been in that Ashley would have been in that house with the other girls. But unfortunately, it doesn't seem like it was the same person who took her.
2: It seems like such a scary time for that Tremont neighborhood you've got girls missing in 2002, 2003, 2004 and 2007 just from that Tremont neighborhood. I know it's Cleveland, I know it's a big city, but four girls to be disappearing from one neighborhood in any city of any size. That's a big deal.
3: Yeah, it's heartbreaking. It really it's just awful. And and boy, if there's a way to put a stop to it, we got to figure out how to do that. But I'm I'm not sure what the answers are.
2: What's your theory in this case?
3: Well, certainly I don't have an ironclad theory, but a lot of suspicion certainly points to the uncle who pled guilty, I believe, to several counts of rape and was sentenced to, I think, 35 years in prison. And he was apparently the last person that we knew that spoke with her. And he admitted that they had an argument that day, a violent argument enough that he smashed her cell phone. So certainly a lot of suspicion on the uncle there. But uh, whether he's a suspect or not, I don't know.
2: I'm not even really clear as to whether authorities think she's dead or not. Because the attorney general... Has a website for missing persons. They have her listed as an endangered runaway, and specifically a notation that says they believe she's still in the area. Do you think that's just kind of a standard thing they put on that, or do you think that she really is alive?
3: Well, I think I think that's the standard issue kind of thing. But certainly, after Gina DeJesus and Amanda Berry were found alive, you got to have that hope that. You know, maybe Ashley's out there somewhere as well, living living her life, you know, under an assumed name or who knows what. But it doesn't sound great for sure, and that's unfortunate. But I guess you have to hold out a little bit of hope that maybe she's still out there. You can never really totally give up someone missing.
2: I think we learned that lesson in Cleveland more than anywhere after those girls were found. It yeah. really just opened up the possibility for every unsolved missing person out there, you know, that this is possible.
3: Yeah. And for people that don't live in the Cleveland area, I'm not sure they understand that those young women girls were part of our fabric i mean we constantly heard about gina and amanda wondering what happened to them where they were and the day they were found alive was really for people who live in cleveland i believe and at least for me one of those days kind of like you remember where you were like on 9-11 or when the challenger exploded or something when you heard that gina and amanda and michelle and were still alive it was just I mean, earth-shattering news in the Cleveland area. So that's really changed our psyche, I think, toward missing missing girls and missing people in general.
2: Yeah, I think you made a good point because I'm not even from Cleveland. And I remember the first time I heard it. It was definitely one of those moments where you just kind of get seared into your brain where you were the moment you heard that. The authorities went back and did a reinvestigation A few years ago and came up with some new information from old witnesses that suggested she was last seen, not on the 4th of July, which is when she left that pool party, but the 9th of July. So now police have the belief that she was not taken or killed the day she disappeared, that she actually was a runaway.
3: It kind of... Opens up, at least to me, a little bit of the idea of maybe human trafficking, that maybe she was kept in the area, you know, for some time and then uh, moved elsewhere. Also, um, could have been a case where someone, you know, kept her alive and frankly um, wasn't sure what they were going to do. You know, maybe someone kidnapped her for whatever reason and didn't intentionally plan on killing her, but didn't really know what they were going to do. Maybe she escaped and was recaptured and, and then something happened. I mean we've seen if you've you know, if you're like me and you've seen enough true crime, you've seen cases where someone is held alive for three days, five days or something before, you know, they're ultimately killed or, or they escape and run away, but that doesn't seem to be the case here.
2: I keep thinking if she was sex trafficked somewhere w- What happens to people like that 13 years later? Do they have the opportunity to get away, or does their usefulness to their sex traffickers fade, and then they become, you know, homicide victims? What do you think?
3: Yeah, you know, it probably is. Unfortunately, you know, they they probably are unfortunately murdered in some situations. Like that, like you said, they're kind of their their usefulness isn't there. Maybe they're they become wise and are in stronger, and um, you know, or you know not worth the fight of, to the human traffickers. Boy, I don't know. It's, it's that's a tough one. It's just so it's such a disgusting concept that it's hard to even consider, you know, what what would happen or what you would do in that situation.
2: Years ago, decades ago, there was a time where if a woman was taken away and sex trafficked, and frankly, we did a missing person story on a college student named Ruth Baumgardner, and there appeared to be a really good possibility that she had been taken for that reason. And the rumor from a Pinkerton detective, no less, was that her family did eventually find her and they put her in an institution, Mm. you know, decades ago, something like that would have been cause for a lot of shame for the whole family. I don't think we live in that kind of era anymore. And I have trouble thinking that if Ashley had been sex trafficked and had the opportunity to give away, she would not... Be staying away intentionally because of what happened to her. I just can't imagine that happening today. What do you? Yeah,
3: yeah. I you know I hear that so many times in cases with missing people you know a lot of times even right when they first go missing the police will say that you know maybe they just ran away and didn't want to be found i don't know how often that really happens but i can't imagine that it happens very often especially when people have a family and loved ones and you know maybe not a lot of money to to live on their own so yeah that i i find that rarely to be something that i would consider that people just want to never associate with their family again, you know, and I know there was the, in this case with Ashley, there was the phone call 30 days later or whatever, where someone was reportedly was Ashley saying, I'm safe, don't worry. But I doubt that that was really her on the phone.
2: People can be cruel. And you hear all the time about people who come out of the woodwork and play hoaxes on the families of victims. So, yeah, yeah I mean, that could easily have just been a cruel person.
3: Yeah, it could have been a cruel joke or it could have been the person who did something with her trying to make it people stop looking for her. Science. legally we can't say so for sure but sometimes yes join myself chris cogswell and my co-host marie mayhew as we examine the science philosophy and history behind the strange and unusual all to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's well just made up check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts the mad scientist podcast
1: the battle of Waterloo was one of the most famous turning points in world history
2: Absolutely, absolutely. The other thing that struck me about Ashley's family was that her family seemed to really love and care about her. They were huge. She had lots of cousins, aunts and uncles that it it sounds like she adored them and they adored her. It's just hard for me to imagine that willingly she would go 13 years and not reach out to any of them.
3: Right, exactly. I can't imagine that. I know, Yeah. from... From everything I've read, she was very close with some of her family members. You know, there's, a, of course, a Facebook group out there dedicated to finding Ashley with her relatives posting on it. So it'd be really hard to believe that she would never make contact with her family, you know, when she saw things like that on Facebook. And, you know, and hopefully she's not being held because Gina, Gina DeJesus and Amanda Berry were talking about how they would see, watch the news reports where people were holding vigils, holding out hope for them. And that had to be, I guess, sort of bittersweet on their end, knowing that people were still looking for them and still held out hope, but also sad to see your relatives and things out there looking for you not be able to contact them. So yeah, I can't imagine that she's still out there and just uh, ignoring her family. That doesn't seem possible.
2: I have trouble putting everything together though in a really comprehensive theory, mostly because finding out that she was uh, alive, police believe she was alive for five days. After she disappeared from that pool party, just throws a whole different wrench into the story. You know, I, I can no longer think Uncle Kevin got angry at her and killed her, you know, immediately. Right. I can no longer easily think, OK, she was abducted and whisked away by a sex trafficking ring. All, you know, just knowing that she appears to have been in that community for another five days. Every theory I want to come up with, there's a big hole in it.
3: Yeah, exactly. That really throws a wrench into it because without that, I mean, to me this is a very simple theory is that, you know, the uncle got mad and and uh, you know, killed her and that was that that day. You know, I don't know how credible that idea is. Um certainly police have been wrong lots of times. So, um and that's not to disparage them, but it's just not an easy job. So, you know, I still think that, you know, she was probably gone that first day. Kind of, I'm kind of just setting aside the whole five days thing because, yeah, it makes it, who knows what could have happened then.
2: Well, you're right. I mean, that's another option is that whoever told police they saw her five days later, in some ways, that maybe wasn't credible. And we shouldn't be thinking that. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, what kind of interesting stories do you have coming up on uh, Great Lakes True, True Crime? Anything interesting you want to tease?
3: No, I've got a few different ideas, but I have not settled on my next case. In fact, I was just posted on. I was going to post on uh, Twitter uh, to try to get some ideas for what people think I should cover next because I'm kind of drawing a blank. I started going down, this, is, I've, this has happened to me a couple times, and this is a little more podcaster speak. There's been a couple stories that I've gone down and even started writing them, and then I realized it's just not going anywhere, or it's not going to lead to a coherent story. Unfortunately, I just had to set them aside, try to go back to the drawing board, because it's, I hate to say that it's entertainment, because it's not. We're talking about true crimes here, but I want to put together stories that enough people will listen to that will get, draw attention to these cases and in some cases maybe see if someone knows anything or the ones that have been solved just to draw attention and kind of honor the people who were, were killed and then also point out true stories where you can never really trust people, sometimes not even relatives you can't trust. So yeah, I don't know which story I'm going to do next. So I, I've got a few ideas here.
2: Well, if you want to hear from our listeners, how should they let you know their suggestions?
3: You can follow me or reach me on Twitter. It's just at Great Lakes Crime. That's the best way to get a hold of me.
2: Great. Well, if anybody out there has suggestions of uh, true crime stories that have happened in the Great Lakes region, reach out to Steve and help him uh, figure out what his next target is going to be. Steve, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Good luck with your podcast. We'll be listening, and we hope our listeners find you, too.
3: All right. Thanks for having me. I've really enjoyed it, and um, I will talk to you soon.
2: You bet.
1: That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com.
2: And that brings us to tonight's featured Ohio musical artist. Birdcat is the performing name for one Brandon Burkett from Akron, Ohio. Brandon's talent goes in many directions. He originally sent us a hip hop song that had some naughty words, so we couldn't use it. And then I found out he does this heavy metal too. And being a former headbanger myself, I couldn't resist. So Birdcat grew up in West Virginia, one of five siblings. He said they had wood for heat and he slept on the floor most years, writing his songs by candlelight. The song we're featuring tonight is Keep Your Distance, which he said was inspired by the need for space. He said, everybody's so caught up with what someone else is doing. I don't mind being that guy taking a hike away from society.
1: Well, let's bust out our air guitars and have another listen to Keep Your Distance by Birdcat. And we'll see you here next week for another episode of Ohio Mysteries. Ohio Mysteries is produced by Steven Yoder and Paula Schleiss. Special thanks to our Patreon and PayPal supporters. Thank you, Audionautix, Daniel Birch, and Adderan for the music. And of course, to all of you who support our show by listening and telling friends and family about us. You can find us on Twitter at Mysteries Ohio. You can find us on Facebook by just searching for Ohio Mysteries. We are also on Instagram at Ohio Mysteries.
0: When there's nothing to prove When nothing else matters, there's nothing to say You should be sporting it out of my way If I was you, never right on my cage. Right. 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 The is gonna break me out I'll fly alone, nobody can save me right. The man I just need. Something The people that know me know I'm going nuts Hunting the hunter is not for your love Stuck in number without knowing I'm wrong Picking my victims is all that I do It could have been anyone but I chose you Wolves in the ocean and sinking the blue When you float away I'm enjoying the view How hard is it for you Watching everything I do Knowing there's nothing to prove When nothing else matters, there's nothing to say You should be smart and get out of my way If I was you, never rattle my cage Nobody's gonna break me out I'm oh, on your own same thing. Nobody can save me You better just stay How hard is it for you? Watching everything I do, knowing there's nothing to prove. With nothing else matters, there's nothing to say. You should be spawning, get out of my way. If I was you, never on my cage. <laughs>